Thanks for joining us at Colts to Consciousness. This storytelling podcast is meant to be for entertainment purposes only and does not substitute for any medical advice. We may discuss triggering topics and we ask that you make your personal mental health a priority. Lastly, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the host. Wow. If I'm the prophet and we're making changes in the Mormon church, if there's a God at all, God doesn't tear up families. God doesn't require a certain marriage by a certain group of white men in Utah or Idaho in a certain location of real estate owned by a trillion dollar corporate megachurch. That's the only type of marriage that God approves of? Like, no. Hey, my name is Shalise Ansola, and this is Cults to Consciousness, where we discuss leaving high-demand religions or organizations and finding healing and independence through awareness and true individual sovereignty. If you're listening only, you're definitely going to want to see this one. Head on over to my YouTube channel at Cults to Consciousness, where you can like, subscribe, hit the bell so you don't miss an episode. Leave your comments. We would like to start featuring comments now, so if you have anything burning that you would like to ask, leave it below. And today's guest, you probably already recognize the studio. I am currently sitting in the Mormon Stories studio, amped up because today's guest is the number one voice in the ex-Mormon space and even the Mormon space. He has a PhD in counseling psychology. He has been podcasting since 2005, and he has been featured on many different publications and a whole bunch of other podcasts. He is an expert voice in this space. And he is here with me today. So thank you so much for joining me, John DeLynn. Hey, Shalise. Nice to meet you in person. It's so nice to meet you in person. It's a little crazy being here in real life because I've watched your podcast for so long. So it's an honor to be here. And I've been just delighted at the quick and rapid growth of your YouTube channel and your kind of production quality. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, I definitely have my fiance slash co-producer to thank for that. Jonathan's in the house. Jonathan's in the house. <laughs> yeah, so I'm thrilled to be here. Um, I have been watching your show for years now, and it's it's so nice to hear your perspectives, to hear your guest perspectives. Everyone just has so much to offer. And so now I'm just curious, after thousands of interviews, I want to know what you would do if you were the prophet of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, because I know in your interviews you always say, look, I'm not trying to burn the church to the ground. I just want to make it a better place so people have a healthier environment to raise their families, to basically worship in a way that is is good and healthy and, you know, have their own thing. So I cannot wait to hear your responses on what you think and what you would do, because also, let me just like continue my rant here. You have done so many different things that have actually changed policies within the church. I mean, people, and I've joked on my podcast before, that you're kind of more of a prophet than the current prophet in the way that you affect change. So some examples here, exposing harmful rhetoric about miracle forgiveness, and it gets pulled from Deseret Book. You do a TED Talk on changing LGBTQ plus policies and... Lo and behold, the church makes some changes. You inspired Jeremy Reynolds to write the CES letter. So many things, and it's amazing. I'm just, let me just applaud you in person. <laughs> Congratulations on doing such a great job. So let's dive into it. And, and I, I guess I just have to give a caveat that I can't take credit for all that stuff at all. Um, some of that is kind of correlation, not causation. Um, I, and, and any of us stand on the shoulders of giants 
that have made it possible for us to do what we do. So there's a combination caveat of I owe everything I do to a lot of great, amazing people. And a lot of that stuff I had <laughs> maybe had some part in, but maybe shared a lot of credit with a lot of courageous, smart, capable people. I mean, yeah, he's being <laughs> humble, guys. I would say that you are a big part of this, but that's also why I wanted to do this episode and just see what your thoughts are. And if you did have the opportunity to change some things and make it a safer environment for its members, what would that look like? So take it away, John. Okay, so you just want me to kind of list changes I would make to the Mormon church if I if I were prophet? Is yes, that right? yes. Changes you would make and we can go deeper into each topic if you would like. Um, it's, all, it's all up to you. All right. Yeah, because people ask me all the time, is there anything the church could do to get you back? Right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a complicated question because in many ways, I, I'm one of the weird sort of scenarios where I didn't leave the church because it hurt me overtly or because I was having a bad experience in it. I mean, obviously as a white, straight, cisgender male who's middle to upper middle class and semi-educated, the church was kind of made by and for me, <laughs> right? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I I just, and and not to say that white guys can't be harmed by the church, obviously, but in my case, I didn't... Uh, lose my faith in the church or leave it because of like significant trauma that I'd experienced or even because I was having a bad experience. It was more things like the history and the truth claims and, mm -hmm. and the way I saw the church harming other marginalized communities. So mm -hmm. anyway, so when I, when I talk about the church or the possibility of ever returning to it, um, yeah, it, it, it's more about changes it would need to make for other people. <laughs> yeah, which is great. I mean, that's it's really empathetic of you to consider other people because some people are very tunnel vision. They're like, well, I'm not hurt Works in the church, me. so why does it need to yeah. change? Like you guys are just being wimps or something. Yeah. But it is, it's very empathetic for you, especially because you, you see these stories firsthand and you interview these people, these heart-wrenching stories. So, all right. So what would be yeah. your, your okay. first change? So I think, uh, the, the first thing, if I were made prophet, if I were rebaptized into the church and made prophet, uh, <laughs> the Mormon church, the first thing I would do is get the church to formally apologize for all the ways it's deceived or harmed people. Mm. Because, uh, you know, the church will talk about these things later because they're their own segments that need to be dealt with. But as you've probably talked about a lot in your podcast, the Mormon church has not been open and honest with its problematic history. Mm -hmm. The Mormon church uh, has several credible science-based and evidence-based challenges to its truth, to its absolute truth claims right. that are, that are deeply problematic. And then the Mormon church has harmed a lot of marginalized communities. And so step one would be for the church to just offer a massive apology and say, you know, we, the Mormon church, we are sorry for um, our misogyny, for for making women institutional second-class citizens for over two centuries. We're sorry for uh, our racism. We're sorry for excluding, you know, black uh, members from full 
membership and participation for, I don't know, 100 and whatever, 80 years. Uh, we're sorry for telling Native Americans that their skin was dark because their ancestors were wicked and that God made their skin dark mm. so that they would be loathsome to the white man and woman, which is all factually incorrect and also yes. grossly racist. Yes. Um, it, all the LGBTQ, you know, the, all the deaths by suicide and the depression and anxiety for the church's homophobic policies, the way that it's broken up families, uh, mixed faith marriages and, and destroyed, divided families asunder. Um, you know, there's just so much that, that the church needs to atone for the way that it's extracted hundreds of billions of dollars, not to mention time and reputation of its members under the, under, under kind of fraudulent terms. And I'm to a, to an active believing Mormon, my words are probably sounding super duper harsh. I don't hate the Mormon church. I don't want to see it destroyed. And I think I'm of the rare opinion that I think the church has done a lot of good and may, this will be the most heretical thing I say on your podcast, maybe the Mormon church net does more good than bad. I think <laughs> I'm, I'm ambivalent about that question. So even though my words are pretty harsh, they don't come from a place of hate or malice towards the church. It's just mm -hmm. like clean up your mess. Like the U S government's made a huge mess and I'm still a citizen of the U S government, you know, of the, of, um, you know, like there isn't a corporation. I used to work for Microsoft. Like there isn't a large organization on the planet that hasn't done a lot of harm. So when I, when I speak harshly about the Mormon church, it's just, uh, it's from, it's from just a, it's from a realization that large organizations often cause harm and the Mormon church is no exception to that. So, so the church taught all of us when you, when you sin, the church taught us the steps for repentance. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it's things like confess the sin. Accountability. Yeah. Accountability. You, you forsake the sin. You stop doing the sin. You confess it. You try and uh, make restitution and, and then you never do it again. Right. And you know, the church knows how to repent because it makes all of us, it shames so many of us into this sort of, uh, very, uh, unhealthy and shameful sort of repentance uh, for things that we actually have no business even apologizing or repenting for. So the church should be a world-class leader in <laughs> apologizing and repenting, and they don't. So that would be number one. And we could probably spend 10 years as a church just apologizing in all the ways we need to apologize. So that's step one. Step one. Do I pause and let you re I respond? Mean, I think that is a great step one. The thing, I think the reason why they don't do it is because people would be like, Oh, so you're admitting that you did something wrong. And by admitting you did something wrong, that means that there's something that I need to check into. Like, I didn't know about the Lamanite thing. Honestly, I didn't learn about that whole racist history with the Lamanites until, I don't know, 2020. Mm. I was like, wait, I was supposed to believe that? Mm. I had no idea. Yeah. So by them admitting, it would cause their members to say, oh, so all of these things I had heard in the past were not ex-Mormon literature. Mm -hmm. It was actually truth. I don't know if, if they could withstand that because, I mean, what's your opinion? Do you think that the members would be like, you know what, that was really brave of them. I, I'm glad that they took responsibility. Or do you think they'd be like, yeah, I'm out of here? Yeah, so in my view, so once upon a time, I'll tell a quick little story. Once yeah. upon a time, my brother, 
my older brother Joel worked at church headquarters at the highest levels of the church. So we're talking worked on a daily basis with members of the first presidency, the quorum of the 12, because he was the head of it. Mm. He was a managing director over computers and technology for the whole church. And he was friends with elder Bednar and elder Holland and all these apostles. And during kind of my, you know, the early years of the podcast and then my own faith crisis, he's like, Hey John, why don't I set up a lunch with you and elder Holland? You know, one of the apostles of the church. (laughs) So I spent weeks planning for that lunch with Elder Holland. And, you know, I didn't want to just like ask him a bunch of gotcha questions because by that point I didn't believe anymore. Mm. But I I didn't want to embarrass my brother. I didn't want to hurt his job. I didn't want to, you know, make the guy, I didn't want to ambush the guy. So I was, so I thought, okay, you know, he'll probably ask me for advice whether or not he intended to actually follow it, he would probably ask just to be polite. And so I thought for days and weeks, what's some advice I would give Elder Holland uh, when he asks? But I gave myself a couple rules about the advice. It had to, it had to be advice that wouldn't weaken the church. Interesting. And when I say weaken the church, I mean decrease its tithing, decrease its active membership. Mm-hmm. And that was the only criteria, right? It would it would have to improve the church, and not not damage it. And you know, I couldn't think of one. Really, I literally couldn't think of one thing. Wow. And here's why: the whole premise of Mormonism is that God speaks to prophets today, that God spoke to Enoch and Amos and Elijah and you know David and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Ezekiel. And, you know, Peter, James, and John, and, you know, God speaking to prophets has not ceased. That that just like he spoke with Joseph Smith, he's spoken with every prophet, seer, and revelator from Joseph Smith till today. Mm-hmm. That's the whole premise. That's the value proposition of Mormonism, that our leaders speak to and for God and Jesus themselves. And that's that's the secret sauce of Mormonism that when you hear the leader speak, you basically are hearing from the, the councils from Jesus and God's own lips. Right. So if they were to say, we got it wrong on <laughs> women, yeah. blacks, LGBT, black, black people, LGBT people, uh, you know, Lamanites, the Book of Mormon, scripture, we we were deceiving you all about our problematic history. Yeah. And we, we got all this money through uh, fraudulent means. Sorry, everyone, <laughs> but but we're still talking to God now and listen. You know, you know, polygamy was the first strike. Like everybody yeah. do polygamy. Okay, never mind. You can stop polygamy, and then giving black people the priesthood and full fellowship. It's like okay, God changed his mind again a second mm-hmm. time. If the church just keeps doing this, the members are going to catch on and say, "I think you're just making this up." <laughs> And at that point, they're kind of screwed. So that, you know, this apology would damage the church irreparably. I mean, it would still exist because there's a lot of people that make a lot of money off of the church. Um, There's a lot of people who would lose too much if they left, but it would, the church would never be the same. Yeah. And what do you do with that? I mean, when they clearly owe everyone an apology, but they can't do it, they just have to gaslight us and say, well, we never said that. We never taught that. Now, what they do is they make, 
slow changes over time, never explain why. Mm-hmm. And then when they've, you know, over a decade or two or three, completely transition to the new way of life, like no polygamy, you know, like trying to be more honest about its history, uh, treating women a little bit better, being less racist, whatever it is. Then once they've fully made that transition, enough generations have died off. Uh, then the church is like, what? We've always loved black people. What? <laughs> What's the? We've always loved women. Like we love LGBT people. What's the? You know, because because the memory, you know, people's memories are short. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, especially when you make a change that maybe skips a generation. So then the new people in the church are like, "What are you talking about? Yeah. Crazy temple ceremonies and like slitting your throat? I don't. That must be ex-Mormon rhetoric. That's not the Mormon church. I, I never saw that in the temple. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Or even now, when the church does something that appears pro-LGBT, it's like, "What are you talking about? We love LGBT people. We just supported legislation." Yes. It's like, how about the decades of like conversion therapy and electroshock therapy on at BYU. You know, yeah. And like, it's like what that elder Oaks is like, that never happened on my watch. And we're like, oh, okay. Elder Oaks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, the memory hole is real. The memory hole is real. Yes. Yeah. So apologize is number one. What yeah. would be your number two? So, uh, the second thing on my list is informed consent. So, so many people are raised in Mormonism or join Mormonism under completely false pretenses. Yes. So the best example of this right now is the church is doing a full court press in Africa, growing by leaps and bounds in one of the only continents left that A, we neglected because of our racist past yes. for you know well over a century. But B, you know, I, I they probably have maybe a little bit less access to the internet than maybe other continents, I don't know. But like there's just enough poverty there to where the church can kind of still really pull a fast one over an entire continent of people. Mm -hmm. So the church is doing this full court press in Africa. They're baptizing Africans like gangbusters. It's really the only continent in the world where the Mormon church is actually growing. But it's baptizing all these black people, never telling them that for over 150 years, the church literally institutionally excluded their ancestors from temple service, from mem- full membership, from priesthood participation, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, I mean, that would, that that's outrageous. Mm-hmm. If the church has this super racist past, it would be like the KKK, you know, no longer burning crosses. And then like recruiting black people into the KKK is like a Elks Lodge Masonic fellowship, never really happening to mention when they sign on the dotted line that the KKK has a super racist past. Like that would never fly, but the Mormon church does that all the time. And it's not just racism, but in terms of its history, um, and this would be with people born and raised in the church, You, I got to the age of 31, never hearing the word polyandry in my whole life. Now what is, yeah, what's what's, uh, polyandry? And you're like thinking, wait, do you mean polygamy, John? No, I mean polyandry. What's polyandry, John? It's the fact that Joseph Smith married amongst the 30 plus women that Joseph Smith, Mormon church's founder, amongst the 30 plus women that Joseph Smith married, 12 of them were actually married to other men at the time he married them. Uh-huh, he sends, so his, the, sends their husbands on missions and then like, oh, I'll take you in, don't worry. Yeah, 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 like why was I 31? I had served a two year mission for my church. I had gone to three years of three hours of church for like 30 years each week 
And I, you know, went to all that BYU religious schooling and, and early morning seminary for four years in high school. No one ever told me that super basic thing. Or that Joseph Smith married 14-year-old girls, mm -hmm. that he married mother-daughter pairs, that he married sister pairs. Never once in my entire existence, 45 years within the Mormon church, on a Sunday did I ever hear any mention of Joseph Smith's wives other than Emma, Emma. being a single wife. That's fraud. That'd be like joining Bernie Madoff's business and never hearing about all the people that he defrauded. Like, that's outrageous. And that's just two of like a thousand issues that the church has hidden yeah. from not only its members, but from, from the world. Yeah, and not, not only hidden, but outright lied about. Like showing the depictions of Joseph Smith translating the plates. And then later they're like, well, there was a hat. I remember when my friend first told me about that story, I was like, no, that's not how it works. I would know I'm a Mormon, <laughs> yeah. you know, in high school trying to fit in when I moved to Portland and no longer in the Mormon bubble. And everyone had all these questions. And I'm like, that's just anti-Mormon. I had no idea it was actually yeah. true. Yeah, the stone of the hat's a big one. Yeah. Stone of the hat, uh, the, you know, the Kinderhook plates, the... Book of Abraham problems. Well, the Book like, of Mormon problems. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The <laughs> anachronisms. Like, yeah. why are there horses in the Book of Mormon yeah. when there are no horses in the Americas during the time of the Book of Mormon? Yeah. But the church has kept all of this. So so informed consent would be my second choice, which basically would be devastating to the church, but it would basically be the church saying, here's the truth about our history. Here's the truth about all the ways that we've harmed everybody. And, and we'll educate all the members and if anyone's going to join the church, we'll give you a full education on the church's problematic past. And then if you want to join or if you want to stay a member, great. Yes. And that would probably involve raising the baptism age from 8 to 18. Because how in the world could you ever teach an 8-year-old? How could an 8-year-old ever even have the maturity and the intelligence to understand the implications of all the problematic history? Right before they've at least lived a little bit of life. So right. I mean, 16, 17, 18 would be the ages where you could start to distribute that curriculum amongst right. your membership so that then they could, by the time they're an adult, decide if they wanted to be a lifelong member or not. Because yeah. make no mistake, when you join the Mormon church, you're giving two years of your life for a mission. You're given several hours a week in church service, your identity, your reputation, and 10% of your income mm -hmm. and your posterity. You're giving all of that to the church and your eternity in theory. Mm -hmm. So like you at least deserve to know what you're buying yeah. when and you buy it. I mean, yeah. I would even argue in the church's standards, if you can teach a 12 year old about how to become a mother, you can teach a 12 year old about the actual history of the church. Start in young women's and young men's. If you wanna raise it up, maybe like 14 and 15, when they're old enough to really start to understand it in the church's eyes. Because again, if you can teach a woman how to become a mother and get married in the temple at 12, you should be able to give them the full scope Absolutely. of everything. Yeah. So I 100% agree with that. And also, at the very least, just teaching the missionaries the full truth so that they can go out armed because you're sending these children out into the world against people who know the information about the church and they're becoming bombarded with questions and they don't know how to answer them. They just think it's, you know, just this isn't true. But if imagine if they actually had the answers to those questions, those hard questions. Oh yeah, this is what the church says is the reason for that. Instead of just being a deer in the headlights and going, I don't know how to answer that question. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So informed consent's number two. Okay. Yeah. Be honest and open about its history and its problems. Okay. We keep going? Let's keep going. Number three is make women equal citizens in the church. I mean, 
the 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 one of the roughest, most disturbing things about Mormonism is this this trillion dollar American church. And if it's not worth a trillion dollars now, it will be very soon. Mm-hmm. It's certainly worth five hundred billion right now, and it takes what seven years for those investments to double. Like, if it's not a trillion dollar church, it will be soon. It somehow has built its power and wealth on the backs of women, while subjugating them as second class citizens. Mm-hmm. It's I don't. It's it's a form of indentured servitude. I don't know what to say, but women are in twenty twenty two. Women are second-class citizens and are not allowed to be leaders in the church. They're not allowed to kind of control their own budgets, make their own decisions. They can't even hold girls' camp. You know, By themselves. Women mm-hmm. can't even bring girls on girls' camp without having men chaperoning. Like, yeah. it's a outrageous patriarchy. And uh, not, only, not only is that um, discriminatory towards women, it's self-undermining to the church itself. How... Imagine if the full power of women were unleashed within the Mormon church. They could have prevented all these, you know, all this abuse of children. They could have mm-hmm. prevented probably a lot of the LGBT deaths and, and problems if, if women had been fully enfranchised. Maybe a lot of different decisions would have been made around gender, around sexual identity, around sexual shame, mm-hmm. um, around disciplinary councils. Like there's so many problems with the Mormon church that if women had been fully enfranchised you you kind of it, i think you have a good case to make that those problems would have never been allowed to exist and or continue if women had been fully enfranchised so so step up and and make women equal citizens would be number three absolutely i agree with Do that agree? i always say that it seems like the church is stuck in the 50s of this like this little housewife picturesque yeah. thing where they want them to get married at 19, have babies by 20, so that they're just right back into the system, raise the the babies as Mormons, and you just multiply and multiply. But you're right. It would be so great if women could just step up into their power and really make the difference that we know that they can make and have their voices heard. But I mean, I wonder what the leaders are so afraid of. I mean, they have quotes saying like, don't be too loud sisters, like don't insert your opinion, like actually telling them sit down and don't speak. But what are they afraid of is going to happen if they stand up and speak? That's a great question. But make no mistake, feminism is the issue that the brethren are most terrified of by far. Mm. They're more terrified of feminism than they are racism, getting right on racism, being honest about its history and I, I think it just has to do with power. Like yeah. the, their power is rooted in their maleness. And as soon as you, as soon as you open up leadership and decision-making to women, you're, you're cutting your power in half. I remember reading Martin Luther King Jr. books, uh, you know, during kind of my intellectual awakening and Martin Luther King Jr. made the quote, power never relinquishes itself voluntarily. Mm. It must be forced. Wow. Um, and you know, and, and yet you think about it, giving black people the priesthood doesn't, doesn't disempower men. It just makes more men able to have the priesthood, Mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, even being honest about your history allows the men to stay in power. But as soon as you allow the women in on the power franchise, you're cutting your power and influence in half. That's probably it. (laughs) <laughs> we could probably just stop right there. 
But that's probably why they do it. But also it's the undermining of authority. Mm -hmm. If the church is on record saying priesthood is for men for 200 plus years and the Bible, you don't see a lot of female prophets or prophetesses in the Bible for whatever reason, they're probably excluded. But for all those reasons, uh, the church is just, that's their biggest fear is empowering women, which is so gross and unfortunate. You know? It is very unfortunate. Yeah. Because like you said, women can make a huge difference in the church in a positive way. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, just imagine taking all of your most talented and amazing people and then dividing that in half and saying half of you need to sit down. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Plus women offer gifts and talents and perspectives that men can't. Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. if you want to talk about how it's funny, the men always say, this is how you raise a family, but women, it's your job. It's like, why don't you ask the women how to raise a family? If you're making that their yeah. priority, yeah. why don't you ask them and let them speak on it? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So that's the next one. Empower women. Okay. Keep going. Move right along. So the church needs to uh, fix its racism because yes. uh, it's not like the, the racism's in the past. Like, you know, it turns out that the Mormons, you know, worship four basic, um, you know, uh, scriptures. There's the Holy Bible. Mm -hmm. There's the Book of Mormon. There's the Book of Moses and the Book of Abraham. And then the Doctrine and Covenants. And guess what? Like, of those five books, which is the least racist? Can you guess? I would guess the Bible. The Bible is the least <laughs> racist. And, and you know, we've been covering this on our LDS discussion series on Mormon Stories podcast. Yeah. Because the 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 root of Mormon racism is this stupid curse of Cain doctrine. Yeah. That when Cain killed Abel, God put a mark on Cain, which is what the Bible says. But then... 18th, 19th century Christians interpreted that mark to be black skin so that they could justify the enslavement yes. of Africans. Mm -hmm. And so that's where Joseph Smith learned about the curse of Cain doctrine being black skin, which was not in the Bible. But then Joseph like one-upped the racism in the Bible because the Bible is racist. But Joseph Smith like one up to the racism in the Bible by injecting the curse of Cain doctrine explicitly into the book of Moses, the book of Abraham, and the Doctrine and Covenants. Uh, and then it's in the Book of Mormon in the form of the Lamanite curse. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we gotta explain the darkness of these Lamanites, and they don't look quite African, and they're Jewish somehow. <laughs> So how do we sure. how do we account for their dark skin? Because obviously they were cursed. Yeah. So we'll make them cursed because of their wickedness. And so like Joseph Smith is like more super racist than traditional biblical Christianity. And that's all codified in Mormon scripture. Yeah. So the Mormon church to become, to fix its racism problem, it needs to start with its own scripture mm -hmm. and take out, this is blasphemy, this is heresy, take out all the super racist parts of the Book of Mormon, Book of Moses, Book of Abraham, Doctrine and Covenants. And of course, it's never going to do that. But that just, it's like a ball and chain. The Mormon church is ball and chain bound to its racism because it's codified in Joseph Smith's own scripture. Yeah, I mean, he didn't just double down on racism. He like tripled down on racism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, even if... 
um, Mormon Church, if you're listening, even if you want to just secretly slide that stuff out and then pretend it never happened, that's still better than still actively teaching that it's part of the scriptures. But again, that leads to the whole problem of, well, the Book of Mormon is the most correct book on the planet and it's never changing. And if you were to take something like that out, then you're saying Joseph Smith got it wrong or he translated it wrong. Yeah, and then exactly. what? What does that yeah. lead to? And then it's what else did he get wrong? It's, well, especially with the, the polygamy thing. Yeah. I mean, everyone's like, well, Mormons don't do that anymore. And that's very much looked down on. You could get excommunicated if you practice. But it's still in the Book of Mormon, or is it the DNC? It's still in DNC. So how do you get around that? Yeah. Just pretend it never happened. Yeah. And that's just fixing the scriptures. Like, its leadership is still super white, Utah, Idaho, Mormon leadership. Uh, it, you know, and then it's taught forever. It still teaches that mixed race marriages are bad things. Does it still? Oh, yeah. You, you can still find, just within the past few years, you know, passages in our, you know, gospel studies manuals that basically say, um, you know, marry within your race kind of thing. You know, that's that's still a teaching of the Mormon church today. So it's got to fix all that, clean up its curriculum, clean up all the folk doctrines, apologize for its racist past, obviously, and then start empowering people of color and all the leadership positions to have representation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's so much more it needs to do. So fix this racism would be the next one. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Keep Sounds going. Good. Let's, what's next? Okay. The next one is to fix its LGBTQ plus problem because the Mormon church has taught for 50 plus years that homosexuality is an abomination to quote the church, that it's yeah. a perversion, right? that it's, a, a, you know, like bestiality, that it, that it comes from masturbating too much and Ugh. that, and that it's, you know, it's it's a step on the pathway towards pedophilia. Like all these horrific things I'm saying right now are things the church has been teaching for 50 plus years. And um, not to mention encouraging celibacy for its LGBTQ plus members if mm -hmm. they can't marry in a mixed orientation marriage. And then encouraging mixed orientation marriages where you're gay or lesbian, but you're marrying a straight guy or a straight woman. And then confining yourself to a marriage where a you're not attracted to, or maybe even have aversion sexually towards the person you're married to. Yeah. And then, you know, they're not getting their needs met because you, you're not into them. And then all the kids become collateral damage when 70% of these marriages end in divorce, which is a much higher divorce rate than most first marriages, right? It's right. two to three times the divorce rates of, of first marriages traditionally not to mention all the all the LGBTQ youth that feel like this life is just to either be celibate or to be stuck with someone you're not attracted to for the rest of your life. You may as well die so that when you get to the other side, Heavenly Father will fix you, I say oh. that in air quotes. And that's why we have two to three times the national average of LGBT youth death by suicide or suicide attempts because of this horrendous doctrine plus all the family rejection. We know that family rejection leads to like eight times uh, the normal prevalence of risky drug use, of risky sexual behavior. If your family rejects you, yeah. Um, and in Mormonism, if you're a super orthodox, devout Mormon parent, and your kid comes out as gay, 
it's like, you know, you follow the rules. Oh, if you're going to start dating who you shouldn't date or even, for, God forbid, experimenting sexually, you're out of the house. Mm -hmm. These kids become homeless or they become rejected. And that's why we have such a epidemic of depression, anxiety, and death by suicide within Mormonism. Right. Like that's, it's a literal, uh, I don't want to say the, the word I was going to say. It's It's horrific how much death and carnage, social carnage that's come about as a result of the Mormon church's homophobia. Yeah, and this isn't even something that's in the past because what was the 2015 policy that directly affected children? It was put in place. And the amount of suicides in that time, do you want to explain to our listeners who aren't familiar what that policy was in 2015? Yeah, so basically uh, the church was, was the leader in fighting same-sex marriage within the United States for decades we, we beat evangelical Christians, which is no tough feat. We beat Catholics. Like, we were the leader. When you think about, like, the early fighting of same-sex marriage in Hawaii or Massachusetts or, or you know, um, California prior to Prop 8, which was Prop 22, I think, like, we were behind all that. Mm -hmm. But then uh, in 2008, um, after same-sex marriage was legalized in California and a few other states, the church is like, no, we're not having any of that. So the Mormon Church uh, started Prop Eight, and um, which which basically meant it spent tens of millions of dollars and countless volunteer time, manning phone banks and you know, can community canvassers to take same sex marriage away from a from citizens of a sovereign state, which is California, mm -hmm. and like ironically, one of the great ironies in American history is that that led to backlash, that led to same sex marriage being legalized. Yeah across the country by 2015. So the church was so bum hurt. Can I say that? But yeah, hurt. Can you cuss hurt. on your podcast? Yeah. Uh, the church was so hurt and offended that same-sex marriage was legalized across the country that it came up with this horrific policy in November of 2015 that basically said that same-sex marriage was an act of apostasy that was considered a greater offense than pedophilia, what? rape, or murder. And you're like, your your mouth is open wide, and I'll explain to you why. Wow. Yeah. In 2015, you could rape someone, you could molest a child, or you could murder someone, and your excommunication was optional, <gasps> depending on the judgment of your leader. But, but in 2015, the church said... We are putting same-sex marriage. Now, let's just be clear. The crime of same-sex marriage is committing your life to the person that you love most. Mm -hmm. That's the crime of same-sex marriage. The church declared that mandatorily uh, an act of apostasy that requires a disciplinary council and an excommunication. While to this day, there are thousands of Mormons running around who knowingly molested children, but were never excommunicated. It was just kind of hush-hush, swept under the rug, because the church never declared pedophilia an act of man requiring a disciplinary council and apostasy. It's optional, right? Same with rape. So, um, so, so they made same-sex marriage an act of apostasy and mandatory excommunication, and then they even, like, turned it up to 11, as they say, um, by also saying that children of same-sex married couple, legally married couples, 
could no longer participate in full fellowship in the church. So they mm -hmm. couldn't get blessed as babies. They couldn't get baptized as eight-year-old children. They couldn't get the priesthood if men. And they had to wait till they were 18 to, um, to get baptized. Only if they it gets better <laughs> or worse, only if they explicitly denounce yes. their parents' marriage before they take that plunge into baptism at age 18. That was literally the November 2015 exclusion, exclusion policy to, you know, received by revelation by the prophets, seers, and revelators of the Mormon church, which meant within Mormon parlance or belief that it was God and Jesus themselves implementing this policy. And um, it took four years, but to the church's credit or... I guess. Uh, yeah. Uh, the church, um, you know, they had the revelation saying that the November policy was of God. Mm -hmm. And then somehow miraculously God changed his mind. And after incredible backlash, massive waves of defection, horrific public relations, embarrassing out outrage sort of, um, you know, events, the Mormon church received a miraculous revelation that that policy was to be undone after it was implemented by God and Jesus. So God and Jesus needed it needed that policy somehow for four years until it almost destroyed the church. And then God and Jesus needed to take that policy away. Well, they said, whoops, never mind. <laughs> yeah. And then they even claimed that the first time wasn't a revelation. No, it was just a policy. It wasn't really of God. Like, hmm. No, I mean, in that case, Russell M. Nelson himself, who's the current president prophet of the church, had publicly stated that it was received by revelation. So they so I don't no think take that, backs. <laughs> I don't think the church has ever claimed that that wasn't revelation. It was the they members. They just said, yeah. new revelation trumps old revelation, mm. right? Yeah, it must have just been the members that I was hearing it from. They were like, no, 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 guys, that <laughs> yeah. wasn't a revelation. No, that would not be the church's policy because they would have to say Russell and Nelson got it wrong. That's right. Yeah. Can't do that. So is this list too long? Did we go on too long? I mean, no, this is, I mean, we're just getting started. <laughs> this is great. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that policy was devastating. I know to many families who lost children to suicide, there were children who were already baptized going, am I going to get excommunicated? Cause I'm not 18 yet. There's just so much unnecessary confusion. And for what, like you said, something that does not affect them. It's yeah. two people who are in love. They're not hurting anybody. Yeah. Oh, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so much carnage with the LGBTQ policies of the Mormon church. I mean, all the women that married gay men, all the straight women that married gay men, because the church, you know, Bishop told, bless the gay man that if he got married to a straight woman, that his gayness would go away yeah. if he was faithful enough in Jesus. Imagine what it's like to be a straight woman married to a gay man. Like, I don't mean to shame anybody and maybe some people make it work, but the majority of these cases is just horrific for the for the straight spouse, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, anyway, just carnage. So anyway, yeah. that's the LGBTQ issue. One more thing before we move on from that. Can you explain their most recent, I guess you could call it a publicity stunt, where it seemed like they were for LGBTQ, but in reality, it was the opposite? Yeah. So to the United States Congress's credit, as the Supreme Court has started to undo a lot of um, historically progressive or liberal landmark cases like Roe versus Wade, the con U.S. Congress kind of saw ahead and realized, whoa, now, you know, the genie's a little bit out of the bottle. We've got tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of same-sex marriages 
all over the country. If the Supreme Court rolls back a Burgerfeld, I think is the name of the Supreme Court case, and all of a sudden takes out the federal, um, you know, the federal uh, Supreme Court ruling that paved the way for same-sex marriage, if the Supreme Court chooses to undo a Burger a Burgerfeld like it undid Roe versus Wade then are states going to be allowed? Like if, if you were same-sex married in California, but you moved to Alabama, would Alabama be allowed to no longer recognize your marriage mm. in, in a state you moved to as a same-sex married couple? I may be slaughtering this. This is just my understanding. And so the, the Congress is like, this will be a disaster for health insurance, for legal reasons, for just kids, for for hospital rights, adoption things. Like, this could be chaos if states start declining the acceptance of previously accepted same-sex marriages. And so Congress was on its way to passing uh, legislation that would honor all same-sex marriages across all the different states. Um, that would still allow states, by the way, to to not allow same-sex marriages if, if Obergefell were, were undone. But at least it would it would mandate that same-sex marriages, you know, be accepted everywhere. So when the Mormon church realized that that was going to happen, it saw a PR opportunity and it saw an opportunity to strengthen its, its power and ability to be bigoted. And this is sounding very cynical and critical, but this is my understanding. We have an episode on this, but basically they sent their lobbyists, the Mormon church sent their lobbyists down to Capitol Hill and said, we will support your legislation. We will, we will descend from our throne of power and money <laughs> and, and magnanimously throw our support behind, you know, their graciousness of, of allowing same-sex marriages to be honored in perpetuity. Knowing that this is going to pass anyway, we will graciously offer our support to same-sex marriages being legitimized everywhere if you also bake into this legislation the right for religions to continue discriminating against LGBT people because yeah. what the Mormon church wants most is to be able to kick that gay student out of BYU if they in any way act on their same-sex sexuality. They want mm -hmm. to be able to fire any, any gay employee that may come out or any member of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir that may come out as gay. It wants to retain the right to fire or to evict or or expel a gay student or a gay employee. And so what it did is it said, we'll support this legislation if you also bake into the legislation our ability to continue homophobic discriminatory policies. And then the brilliant masterstroke is to the general membership, all they said is, see, we love gay people. Yeah. And so now, like we talked about the memory hole, now the church can sort of like wipe clean its decades long in the minds of the members yeah. who aren't wise enough to kind of read the fine print oftentimes, aren't savvy enough or aren't or are programmed yeah. with undue influence to be afraid or unmotivated to actually read the fine print. Yeah. To the general current membership that's Orthodox, the Mormon church can say, see, we love gay people. <laughs> We're not a bigoted church. Now you can go tell all your family and friends that the Mormon church loves gay people and supports them. That was the PR opportunity. Wow. Their actual behaviors were strengthening their ability to discriminate against LGBTQ people. It's, it's brilliant. 
if it weren't so diabolical, <laughs> it would be brilliant. And maybe someone is going to challenge my interpretation of that sequence of events, but I'd love to hear a better explanation. <laughs> yeah, me too. So I'm curious then, John, if you were the prophet of the Mormon church, would you, this is a two-part question, first, would you allow uh, members of the LGBTQIA community to hold temple marriages? And second part, since you're not actually the prophet, do you think the church will ever allow temple marriages? So, uh, yes, I would. Uh, um, I, you know, there's a problem. I guess one of the things I didn't mention on my, what I would change as a prophet, like the whole temple ordinance stuff is deeply problematic because what's implicit in Mormon priesthood authority, Mormon exclusive truth claims and Mormon ordinances, what's implicit or explicit in all of that is that a Mormon baptism counts in the eyes of God, but any other Christian baptism or non-Christian ordinance that tries to be like a baptism is illegitimate in the eyes of God. Mm -hmm. That's that's sort of like the value proposition of Mormon priesthood authority. Mm -hmm. The Catholic baptisms don't count. Lutheran or Presbyterian baptisms don't count. And same for marriages. In, yeah. in Mormon church teachings, the only marriage that exists in heaven, the only legitimate marriage that exists in heaven is a Mormon marriage solemnized in a Mormon temple. Mm -hmm. And that's a offensive and outrageous teaching by any standard. And so if we're, if, if I'm the prophet and we're making changes in the Mormon church, we're starting a little bit upstream to basically say, no, God accepts if there's a God at all, God doesn't tear up families. God doesn't require a certain marriage by a certain group of white men in Utah or Idaho in a certain location of real estate owned by a trillion dollar corporate mega church, like that that's the only type of marriage that God approves of? Like, no. <laughs> so like, I think I would probably just say there's no such thing as eternal marriage in a Mormon sense. Mm. If you want to get married in the Mormon temple, you can get married there, but anyone can get married there. And a Mormon marriage is no better than any other marriage. And by the way, if you choose to not get married, but you love each other and are respectful to each other, that's great too. Like I would do some cleaning up upstream. Yeah. So I guess that would make it so yes, any any same sex couple could get married in the Mormon temple. Yeah, I really along like with that. Any other couple. <laughs> so you're you're kind of uh getting rid of temple marriage in general. The idea that if you don't get married in the temple, you can't be with your spouse or your family. Yeah, getting married in the temple is fine, but claiming that only a Mormon marriage in a Mormon temple is legitimate in the eyes of God is deeply offensive. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's it's horrible. I mean, and then but but then temple work is a, is its own problem. I was just going to get to that so okay. I'm, so, I'm so glad that you get yeah, go continue. Yeah, like just this idea like Joseph Smith reads some passage in the New Testament about like baptisms for the dead and he's like, hmm, "What does that mean?" "Oh, I know what it means. It means that everybody needs a Mormon baptism and if they didn't get it while they're alive, then we'll we'll get it when you're dead. And so the fact that Mormons, Mormon youth, Mormon adults spend hours each week, a, an aggregate of tens, if not hundreds of thousands of hours each week or each year, going to Mormon temples to get baptized in the name of some person in China and some person in Mexico, because God requires that the billions and billions and billions of people who have lived on this planet since the beginning of time 
all need a Mormon baptism to be able to go to heaven? Yeah. Like what a uncreative, you know, uh, ridiculously pharisaical God to require, instead of like all the Mormons who have extra time and money on their hands, like teaching literacy to people who can't read, cleaning up the water, getting clean water to, to pueblos and towns that mm -hmm. need clean water, like fighting abusive children, like fighting poverty and war, instead of all the human hours that could be spent actually turning this problematic planet into a healthier, happier place for its citizens, its members are gonna spend their leisure time, their free time, going to the local temple and getting baptized 20, 30, 50 times yeah. for Jose and Maria. Who didn't ask for it. Who didn't ask for it. <laughs> Or Holocaust survivors, like how offensive is that? Baptizing, like baptizing Holocaust victims, mm -hmm. Mormon, because there's an assumption that these people who died for their faith are going to somehow want to be Mormon in the afterlife. So we've got to get their baptisms. I mean, how insulting, but also what a phenomenal, catastrophic waste of time and energy and resources to be spending a third of our time as Mormons doing these stupid and it's super rude, but it's outrageous when you think about poverty, war, and injustice on this planet, that that's how money and time is being spent. Right. So I'm getting rid of all the proxy work <laughs> for the dead. As Mormon prophet, I'm getting rid of all proxy work for the dead. I think that's Mormonism. a great idea. Yeah. I actually talked about it with my mom in one of our episodes where she was saying, yeah, I tried to go to the temple and if I didn't go to the temple, I felt guilty. But every single time I went, she has three kids, she was just stressed the whole time. Like, are my kids okay? What if they're trying to reach me? Busy doing temple work instead of actually being the parent that she's wanting to be because all of her time is going towards this. And for what? And I mean, credit to these members and, and everything that we say, this is a little caveat disclaimer here. Everything that we're talking about, this is not a direct attack on the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We love them. We respect them. We just want them to be healthy and happy. And so when we talk about this temple work thing, we, we know that you're doing it with the best of intentions and you're doing it hoping that the person that you're baptizing is getting something special in heaven because of your time and effort and sacrifice. So just wanted to throw that out there. Um, but yes, I agree with you, John. Also, what, what kind of God would expect? How many active Mormons are there? Like 6 million, 4 million to do the work of billions of people who have passed away and will continue to be born. And I'm telling you, I, so I had my records removed. If someone tries to baptize me when I'm dead, I will haunt you. <laughs> I do not want it. These people didn't ask for it. They don't want it. Spend yeah. your time doing other things. Be with your families. Well, there's just so much pain and suffering in the world. So many problems that, that like Jesus, even if, if you don't believe in Jesus or if you do, like Jesus said, you know, take no thought for the morrow for the evil of today is sufficient. Something like mm. that. I think Jesus said something like that. It's basic Buddhism 101. It's like be in the present moment. Yeah. There's so much need and pain and suffering all around you. The Mormon church could take all its time, money and resources and just focus on all the need currently in the earth today, and it could never it could never meet all the needs. So why focus on the past and the future? Mm -hmm. yeah. I agree. And yeah. just the same as the church didn't allow black people to hold the priest and go to the temple and changed it, do you think in the future they will have to or be forced to or go under accept and allow LGBTQ marriages in the temple? Yeah, probably like yeah. 30, 30 or 40 years from now. But I mean, it will 
by that point, it will be a totally different church. Like it's right. a dying church now. Yeah. It'll really be a dying church then. It, because at that point. There's nothing, uh, no original doctrine. Yeah. Will be. <laughs> it, it'll just, it, it will cease to be the church that it started to be. Mm-hmm. And people won't. And that's the thing. I've tried to create secular community after leaving Mormonism because I, I had such a great experience as a Mormon and I really love community. And I, I see one of the biggest needs for people leaving cults, leaving high demand religions, being finding friends and community because they're usually ostracized from their families and their community. Like I've tried to create community and it turns out that exclusive truth claims shame and, you know, threats or promises for the afterlife are really powerful motivators for creating community. Right. Right. But as soon as you take away the exclusive truth claims, the prophetic connections to mm-hmm. a deity allegedly, and then all the shame and the guilt and, and, and all that stuff, as soon as you neuter the church, people are going to show up and set up chairs and give 10% of their income and spend two years of their lives volunteering yeah. to paying, paying to be, you know, Mormon missionaries pay. Right to be a two-year salesperson for the Mormon church. That's brilliant, Mark. Super brilliant. But but the the way they came up with it is by having guilt, shame, ex- exclusive truth claims, claiming to be the voice, you know, the literally the voices of God and Jesus. That that's that's the secret sauce that binds people's eternal commitments to the church. So yeah. once you lose that, um uh, the church is gonna just be in free fall. It's kind of already in free fall. It's going to even be worse in free fall. Yeah. yeah. If you were the prophet, would you do away with missionaries? I mean, I, I, I loved my mission. Like Did I you? had, I had, yeah, like I had an abusive, psychologically abusive mission president. And I was, you know, like the, the, the cause of what we were doing was deeply problematic for all the reasons we've already mentioned. We're basically teaching a whitewashed, yeah. overly simplified version of Mormon doctrine and history to colonize, culturally colonize, you know, Latin Americans in my case. Like, there's a million things that's that, that are wrong with that. Uh, but um, I, I do think that for people in poverty, being connected to a super wealthy trillion dollar organization in another country where you get relational opportunities, educational opportunities, even financial opportunities. How can that not be beneficial to at least some of the people that join the church? So I did see people's quality of life, socioeconomic status improve as a result of joining the church. So that that's, that's good. But just more importantly, I learned leadership. I learned communication skills. I learned self-motivation. I learned discipline. Um, I learned to work hard and, and to face rejection and, and just, I got a cultural experience where I learned a second language and spent two years of my life trying to be in the service of other people. What's not amazing about all of that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, there's a big part of me that wishes my kids would have had that opportunity. Unfortunately, the church kicked me out before my kids were ever of mission age. I guess I should say fortunately, not unfortunately yeah. for different reasons, but I mean, well, suffice it to say, I still believe in the mission experience, just being a missionary for actual truth and actual injustice and poverty. So I wouldn't get rid of the missionary program, but I would find a way to retool it mm-hmm. so that when the missionaries are going to serve their mission, they're actually addressing poverty, war, and injustice and not 
enriching uh, an already grossly wealthy organization that's a business masquerading as a church these days. Is that too harsh? No. Did I, get, did, I, did I go too far? No. Okay. I didn't think you went too far. You sure? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah I'm sure. Okay. Um, I do think that that would be a positive thing because there are mission, service missions in other churches that are vastly helpful. So maybe we just shift instead of trying to bring people into this church under false pretenses and not giving them all the information. Maybe the mission field is going out and building buildings for people, building uh, schools, helping with food, building, building agriculture uh, structures, anything that you can do to actually help the person instead of say, you have to join our church or you won't be with your family and give us your money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and don't masturbate or we're going to make you feel like you're a horrible person. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah. Yeah, so I think the bones are there, but it does need to drastically shift and change and, and give the, the missionaries more support to give them access to psychological help if they need it because so many missionaries come home depressed and they're just told to you know pull your boots up and go do God's work and they're struggling and they, they don't have any resources. So beefing that side up a bit and then beefing up the side of the actual service I think would be really beneficial. You should be the next prophet, not me. Oh my Jeez. goodness. Yeah. Sure, the first woman prophet. I'm in. I'm in. I'd vote for you. Wait, is that how prophets work? I'd vote for you. Hey, can, will you sustain me? <laughs> Thank sustain you. you. <laughs> Thanks, John. Okay, so all I. All in favor? All in favor. Manifest by the, by the like sign? Everyone in the room. <laughs> so Any it's, post? It's official. Any post? Okay, you're in. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah, I think we'd be a great team. So I kind of hijacked your list as, are there any more that you want to go oh over? Oh boy. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I could go on forever. Um, I, I do think that another huge source of pain and suffering and family destruction that the Mormon church has caused is by tearing lives and, and families apart when people lose their faith, because it's, it's almost impossible to retain unless you've got familial or social or monetary forces causing your confirmation bias and motivated reasoning to be firing on all cylinders, which is every Orthodox Mormon in existence, unless you've got that, if, if anyone just steps aside from that and neutrally and objectively looks at the Mormon church's truth claims, it's obviously, it's obviously a fraud. It's mm -hmm. obviously Joseph Smith was obviously a charlatan who was also a sexual predator. Mm -hmm. There's literally zero possible interpretations if you look at the evidence objectively. Mm -hmm. And I and I I know I'm using very strong words. I've been doing this 20 plus years. Uh, I, I stand by what I just said. Now that doesn't mean super brilliant people don't find a way to still believe. We've still got Patrick Mason and Richard Bushman and Terrell and Fiona Givens and a, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of really smart Mormons who still believe. But again, my argument is it's because of social pressure. It's because of monetary pressure. It's because of familial pressure. And they would be deeply offended at this assertion, but I stand by it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and there all, there might be psychological binding forces too, like real vulnerabilities that just lead them to feel like they need a high demand religion sure. or they need Mormonism to kind of keep their psychological wheels on the wagon. Mm -hmm. But I think those four things are account for 90% of devout Orthodox Mormonism in the face of the evidence. I mean, there's a whole chunk of Mormons that if they could just see the evidence, they'd walk away today. Right. But because they live in such a bubble, a protected bubble where the church, th you know, 
puts the fear of Heavenly Father into them that they not learn the truth about the church, they're never going to learn it. Right. Right? It's too scary. Yeah. Um, and, and, the, and they've been threatened and made, yeah, uh, to fear it. So anyway, what I'm saying is, is that the church has made it horrific for people who start to question the church. And when you start to question Mormonism, um, you, you potentially uh, can lose your spouse. You can lose the love and esteem of your parents. You can lose the love and esteem of your children. You can be disinherited by your parents or your grandparents. You can lose your job. You can lose your friends. You can lose your community. And uh, I like to say that you could literally win the Nobel Peace Prize and cure cancer. But if you leave the Mormon church, you would be viewed as a disappointment by your parents. And that's, I'm not exaggerating, fact. And so the amount of carnage, individual carnage, depression, anxiety, suicidality, over just losing your faith in Mormonism, or the amount of divorces, family destruction, family division is is infinite. It's incalculable. And so the Mormon church has been horrific at punishing people who lose their faith. And I learned uh, many, many years ago the definition, one definition of a cult, maybe you've heard this, is any institution that won't let you leave with your dignity intact. Right. And there's no way to leave Mormonism with your dignity intact. Uh, we all know the tropes and the stereotypes that Orthodox Mormons put on anyone who's lost their faith. Pop quiz, Shalise, what are some of the tropes so of why people mean, leave the church? Oh, why people leave the yeah, church? Why oh, do people, why did they you, just left because they wanted to sin. They wanted to sin. You wanted to drink beer, right? Or they left because they were offended. They were offended, Or right? they left because they never really had a testimony. Exactly. They never had a testimony <laughs> to begin with, right? Yeah. 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 Um, or they looked at porn, right? Mm-hmm. Or they, you know... Wanted to have sex. Or, or the most dangerous one, they left because they were led by Satan. Yeah, yeah, How's yeah. How's that for a exactly, judgment? Exactly, yeah, exactly. So these are all just a subset of the total number of, of you know, tropes or uh, stereotypes that Orthodox Mormons put on people who leave the church as a way to protect their own faith. Mm-hmm. Because they certainly can't go, well, Shalise left because she was horribly mistreated by her leaders and shamed by the community, and experienced all sorts of horrific abuse, and is intelligent, and emotionally and psychologically mature, and realized that this was problematic and discriminatory and uh, harmful for innumerable classes of marginalized groups. And so she gained her power by being intelligent and, 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 gained her strength by extricating herself from a very difficult, you know, organization to extricate yourself from, paid a huge price, followed the hero's journey and become a, a, became a strong, empowered, healthy woman said no Orthodox Mormon ever about you. Right. <laughs> right. Shalise, like that's not the narrative. I don't think so. Sadly. They found their power and wisdom and left the church. That never, has that ever been said ever? I don't think no, so. No, no, it's never said. So the church needs to just say to all the membership, there are lots of reasonable reasons to leave the Mormon church and it's okay to believe it if you want to, but lots of people leave for lots of good reasons and they are to be loved and maybe even respected a little bit more for leaving simply because it's such a difficult, painful, excruciating and courageous act 
to leave any high demand religion, but especially to leave the Mormon church. So the church needs to just completely change its narrative and it needs to tell spouses, parents, children, siblings, friends, community members, you need to love extra people who leave the Mormon church because they need your love more. And by the way, ask them why they left, show real empathy and learn about why they left because that will help you gain the informed consent that we never had the courage (laughs) or the respect to offer you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You got me ranty. I think I had too much coffee this morning. <laughs> it's great. This is caffeinated John. You you were able to extricate caffeinated John from- I, uh... I am honored that I'm experiencing <laughs> caffeinated John, and so are our listeners. I think the issue is it's not just a passive. They actively teach people to create this us versus them mentality. They actively teach people, oh, they're just lazy learners. Oh, they just never were faithful enough. Uh, oh, we're separating the sheep. You know, they sent they sent letters home to people during COVID saying people will fall away, and but the strong ones will stay. They are actively manipulating people into thinking, oh well, yeah, I am better than that person. Oh yeah, I I do have a right to judge them and and say bad things about them. And that's just it's people's own family are saying that, and that's what's so difficult. It's not just them thinking, oh, well, just a random person out there left the church and I'm angry or I'm judging them. It's I'm judging my brother. I'm judging my sister. I'm judging my mother. And it just tears families apart. It, it doesn't help anyone. You're starting to get the feels. I'm getting all the feels. <laughs> <laughs> I have big opinions, John. Have you shed a tear in your podcast yet? I haven't. I have, yeah. You have? I okay, have. okay. Yeah, good times. Well, that's good. You're You're emotionally and psychologically connected because the pain is real. Like I talk about it passionately, mm-hmm. but but the degree to which people have been shut off, shunned, cut off mm-hmm. from marriages, from their own children, from their own parents, it's its, its own um, set of travesties yeah. that is outrageous. And it's, yeah. it's, you know, there's so much carnage with the racism, the sexism, the homophobia, that this is like fourth on the list of like severity, but it's real mm-hmm. and it's significant. Yeah. yeah. Anything else on the, on the oh, list? Oh, we're, we're still going? Okay. Well, if, if our viewers and listeners aren't tired yet, um, yeah, I'll say two more things. Okay. Uh, the, the, the next one is sexual shame and purity culture. Yes. Like, I, I, I realized in the past few years that sexual shame is literally like the secret. You know how Coca-Cola has like a secret ingredient, allegedly, that kind of makes Coca-Cola like supposedly better than all the other uh-huh. colas? Like, Mormonism's secret ingredient is sexual shame because the the basic premise of Christianity, no offense, Christians. Okay. I'll say this, the basic premise of Mormon Christianity and of other certain other forms of Christianity is that we're all broken. We're all fallen. We're all despicable, worthless, dirty, evil creatures. The natural man. Yeah. The natural man. This is basic Calvinist Christianity that because we're broken and fallen and despicable, then we need a savior to be punished and die for our sins to make up as like a righteous lamb to the slaughter for all of our horrific evil that that's in our core nature. Now, of course, this is fundamentally flawed from the start because we're God's creation. Mm-hmm. So if God literally created us to be despicable, deplorable, you know, treacherous wretches of, of humanity, then why did God make us this way and then have to punish and kill his own child 
to then atone for or make up for our wretchedness that he created. Mm -hmm. Like that's just effed up to begin with. Not to mention that someone innocent is going to suffer and die. Like that's just like if, if God, if Mormon God, if Mormon Heavenly Father were an actual parent, he would be put in prison for child abuse and neglect. Right? Yeah. Like that'd be torturous Yeah. to hold that over your children. Like I made you a horrific person. So now I'm going to go kill someone else who's innocent so that then you can forever feel indebted to me or to that dead person. And so that you'll do everything I say for the rest of your life, you owe me and you're indentured to me and this other dead person for the rest of your life because I made you a, a deplorable to begin with. Like who, like that's, but that's the premise of Mormon Christianity. Yeah. And so, so sexual shame is like, you, you gotta pick a sin that's like pervasive, right? You can't pick like, oh, I don't know, stealing. Yeah. As like the core thing. Cause not everyone steals. Yeah. Cause like, like a ton <laughs> of people don't, don't steal. Yeah. Right. Like it's a minority that's like really into stealing. Yeah. So you gotta pick, you gotta go bigger. You got to pick a sin that's like way more pervasive. What's more pervasive than like sex? I mean, water drinking, maybe eating. <laughs> like you got to pick something that like, you know, you won't die if you stop for a while. Yeah. But that you're going to do. Eventually. But you're, but you're going to do it at least frequently enough to where you can get on that shame treadmill for the rest of your life. So they, they couldn't do sleep. They couldn't do food. They couldn't do water. Right? They couldn't do breathing. So like what's like one level up on Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Sex. Yeah. Or sexual stimulation or gratification. And that's literally what they've locked themselves onto. So yeah. from the point that you're like eight years old and exploring yourself, or you're a four year old girl getting a dress, it's like, well, don't have sleep, you know, don't have a sleeveless dress because you're showing your shoulders as a four year old girl and you're gonna make some weird perverted man have bad thoughts and so that's on you little girls make sure you dress modestly make sure your skirt's long so that some man doesn't have a bad thought and so girls are carrying already before they're even going through puberty they're already carrying men's sexual you know problems uh on their shoulders yeah and then youth as soon as they start to have sexual awakenings whether it's prepubescent or of course, when, when the hormones start raging in adolescence, as soon as you touch yourself, as soon as you touch someone else's private parts, as soon as you do what is by any other standard would be completely healthy, which is to understand, come to know your own sexuality, mm -hmm. and then start to gain proper sexual education such that you can explore in healthy ways sexually in a, in a, in a healthy way, yeah. all that's shut down. You're not given any education and you're just shamed and made to feel horrific about ever touching yourself, about ever touching somebody else, about ever having a thought, even having a sexual thought, heaven forbid, like, like talk about pervasiveness who hasn't had a sexual thought, but that's in Mormonism, like having the sexual thought have committing adultery in your mind is like one it's step away from actually committing adultery, not to mention committing a sexual transgression is like next to what next to murder, sin next to murder. So you just amp up the guilt and shame on a sin. That's literally prolific universal, a behavior 
or thoughts or feelings that are literally universal. We're literally wired as mammals to have these thoughts and feelings and to procreate. So let's, let's, let's harness that onto the shame cycle and let's use it to make all the Mormons feel infinitely shameful about themselves and indebted to the church as the only way that they're going to ever be rescued from this horrible sin and transgression and carnality that they're wallowing in that of course God made them to, to wallow in, but that's, you know, not mentioned. And so, and so, yeah. So whether it's modesty culture, rape culture, whether it's the law of chastity, prohibiting masturbation, not giving proper sex education, and then, you know, virginity culture that then leads to people getting married way too young mm -hmm. without the education, marrying people they probably have no business marrying at an age way too young, and then sort of saddling young married couples with literally a lifetime of sexual dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And then all the pornography, guilt and shame that's, that's plugged into all those different channels. Uh, surprise, surprise, Mormons in, by some accounts lead the nation in pornography use yeah. per capita, <laughs> sexual abuse of children per capita. Yeah. Like just so much sexual dysfunction within Mormonism. And that's what you get when you, when you have a, a culture where sexuality is healthy, sexuality is never taught, and then it's it's demonized and pathologized in every single possible way. Um, and so the Mormon Church needs to throw out its law of chastity, mm -hmm. and needs to throw out its purity culture, throw out its modesty standards. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and by the way, that doesn't mean just like don't teach. It, what it does mean is teach proper sex education, like mm -hmm. the Unitarian Universalists, like the Our Whole Lives curriculum that the Unitarian Universalist Church teaches its youth. It means teaching consent. Mm -hmm. It means teaching sex ed, sexual health, uh, you know, um, what is rape, what is assault, what is abuse, what is consent, what is healthy sexuality, what is respect, what is self-respect, self-knowledge, self other knowledge, teach all that, and then nurture, you're, you're probably going to get less, you're probably going to get less unhealthy sexual exploration. If you do that, you'll probably have less unwanted pregnancies, yes. less abortions, uh, uh, and just happy, healthier lives and happy, healthier marriages, marriages. <laughs> but you can't get it all rid of that because it's core to your business model. It's core to your shame model yeah. that then keeps everybody bound to your church. So that's mm -hmm. why the church doesn't do what I would do if they let me. That's why they will never make you profit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is definitely one of my biggest problems with the church and why I have so many episodes on it. We did two episodes with Natasha and they were just incredible. She was talking about things that should be normal, that should not be shamed. And it's so important that youth and adults have this information yeah. because it can change your life and it can help you realize, oh, I am human. I'm not something that's dirty and sinful and gross and, and the whole purity thing and the, the chastity thing and the virtue thing and all those disgusting virtue lessons that it, ah, it just gets me so angry. The licked cupcake, the chewed gum. You're teaching women that, you know, this is an object lesson. You are the object. We are thinking of you women as objects and your only purpose as an object is to push out babies somehow after you've somehow figured out how to have babies. 
that's your only thing in life and that's what you have to be focused on. But we're not going to tell you how to actually have babies. We're just going to tell you to not have them until you have to have all of them. It makes no sense. Yeah. 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 So that's, this is one of the, and again, like we're like eight topics in and this is one of the worst things about Mormonism, right? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. We're like eight topics in and we're still at something super pervasive and horrific. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about. You think the intensity would, would dial down as we get farther (laughs) down the list. And I, I don't think this is a less intense issue. Like it's like, I know there are Mormon youth and even adults that, that die by suicide because of not being able to stop masturbating or not being able to stop looking at pornography. Like there are Mormon wives or husbands that like view their pornography viewing spouses as despicable humans right. who can't, who are addicts right. who can't, you know, quit their addictions of like masturbating once every three weeks. Like right. that is, that is a real, this is tearing families and lives apart. Mm-hmm. It's a real, it's carnage. It's social carnage. Yeah. Yeah. So viewers, if you want to learn more about <clears throat> is masturbation healthy, definitely check out Natasha Helfer. She goes into depth and she has done so much research on how masturbation is a very healthy and normative behavior, even from infancy. So go check that out. Anything yeah. else, John? Well, I mean, I'll just, I'll just give like the miscellaneous. There are a few more that are huge that I kind of made reference to, like the fact that, um, Mormon ordinances are tied to tithe paying. So like the church has a huge problem with money. Let's just group it in the money problem. Mm-hmm. So number one, they're not transparent in their finances. They mm-hmm. used to be in the late 1950s, the church really? was still transparent in its finances, but at some point it wanted to deficit spend and get into a bunch of debt. So in the late 1950s, early 1960s, the church made its finances private and then started spending a, a, a boatload of money that it didn't have. Um, building chapels all over the world and building temples and 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 it turned out well financially for the church, but since then the church has been completely non-transparent. Like I run a five hundred one c three nonprofit, I publish my finances every single year in a nine ninety that I file with the federal government. Why? Because the federal government says, look, if you're going to get a tax break, then you need to be transparent in your finances so that people don't know. So people know if you're defrauding them, and so that there's basic transparency into how you spend your money because mm-hmm. it's a public service. So why in the holy heck would nonprofits be required to be transparent in their finances, but religions aren't? Yeah. Like religions are nonprofits. And why should religions have an exclusion for being transparent in their finances? So I would make the Mormon church be transparent in its finances, mm-hmm. which would reveal that it's a trillion dollar multinational mega corporation, uh, that doesn't need anyone's money. That doesn't right? need missionaries to pay to work for them. No, like there's a gazillion things that members don't need to be putting up their time and money for. But but that's that's the first problem that the church, until it was exposed as having 120 million, 120 billion dollars of stocks and bonds and real estate and cash and municipalities and real you know, like until it was exposed as having secret assets approaching $500 billion, the church was keeping all that secret from its members. Yeah. So that, that would change. And then the church would stop requiring 10% of its membership, especially if it's poor people, yeah. like if the rich people want to pay 10%, but like optional, why, why are, why are Panamanians and, and Filipinos told in the Mormon church that they should 
pay their tithing before they buy shoes for themselves. And I'm not making that up. Wow. There's a there's a tithing video that I released recently that basically is all the instances of Mormon church leaders telling people, poor people in developing countries to pay their tithing before they buy food or shoes. Wow. I am not exaggerating. Like, so like, that's horrific. Um, and, and then 10% um, is a lot of money. And then also what the Mormon church has done that's even more diabolical is that they've tied these most sacred Mormon temple rituals that we've already kind of denounced in this episode, they've tied Mormon marriage, the ability to attend a Mormon wedding to your paying of your 10% mm -hmm. of your income. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a Mormon dad and I'm, I have a, you know, a 20 year old daughter and she goes to BYU and I lose my faith. So I don't want to pay tithing anymore. But then my 20 year old daughter still at BYU, she finds her return missionary. They decide to get married and I'm not paying my tithing. I, as a parent who raised this child, is not allowed to attend the wedding of my own child. Mm -hmm. In 2022, in modern Mormonism, non-believing, non-tithe-paying Mormon parents are excluded from the weddings of their own children. Yeah. Not making this up. And it's not just weddings, it's attending and attending endowment ceremonies, sealings, all sorts of these most sacred Mormon family events, sort of... Entrance into the temple is viewed by Orthodox Mormons as worthiness. Mm -hmm. It means you're not cheating on your spouse. It means you're not looking at porn. It means you're obeying all the commandments. So what's the inverse of that? If you're excluded from a Mormon temple, what does every Orthodox Mormon assume about you? That you're doing all those things, that you're a sinner, that you're not worthy enough, you're doing you're something wrong. cheating on your spouse, that yeah. you're looking at porn. Just assume so, the worst. Yeah, so not yeah. only are you excluded from the most sacred holy or important familial ordinances within the church, but you're shamed by the entire set of family members and general membership. You're shamed because these whisper campaigns go around about why was he kept from the temple? Because yeah. obviously the church isn't going to go, it's because he didn't give us 10%. So we're keeping him out of the temple. They just keep it ambiguous. So that leaves all the members to assume that you're not attending the temple mm -hmm. because you're addicted to porn and cheating on your spouse. Or it could be something as simple as drinking coffee. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> or having like, a shot on the weekend. How outrageous is that? That if I drink coffee in 2022, I'm not allowed to attend my own son's wedding in yeah. a Mormon temple. Or you could just lie about it and then feel guilty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sounds like you, did you do that one time? No, no you never did that. Okay. <laughs> no, okay. I was honest and I missed both my best friend's weddings. Yeah. So there's no, that. But, but the Mormon church does have a culture of, of teaching and encouraging dishonesty by, by forcing members to lie yeah. so that they're not shamed and excluded from their most holy ordinances. So I would change that whole tying, you know, 10% of your income to these most sacred holy temple rituals because it really is it's an indulgence it's extortion it's pay for play it's it's just unethical on every possible level not to mention uh taking advantage of the poor and causing all these people to pay money when the church doesn't need it like literally you take what 150 billion dollars that the church has right now 7% interest on $150 billion easily pays the eight or $9 billion annual budget that the church has. The church, the Mormon church does not need your money. I don't care who you are in 2022 or beyond. The Mormon church is a trillion. It's, it's a five, it's at least a $500 billion church. 
that's if not already a trillion dollar church, it will be in the next seven years. So the Mormon church doesn't need your money. Keep your money, give it to worthy charitable causes or to your own family or friends in need. Don't give the Mormon church your money. Uh, yeah. So, Amen. yeah. So, so that's, so yeah. So that, that takes care of financial transparency, requiring 10% tithing and tying temple work to people giving the church money. Um, yeah, I mean, that's... That's quite the list, and there's probably more, and we could go on for 10 hours. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if John DeLynn or the prophet of the Mormon Church or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, these are all the things that we would want to change and implement so you as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints can live a happier, healthier, more well-rounded, better life and, and raise your children in something that you're really proud of and something that will help them become productive members of society and happy and healthy and all the things that you want for your children. You're so good at this. Oh, thanks, John. I mean, have you been doing this a year? Like, how long have you been doing this? <laughs> like, three months? Like, how long? My podcast has been going for five months. You are freaking amazing, Shalise. Wow. Seriously. That is high praise, John. Thank no, you. No, you do. You're good. She's good. <laughs> Jonathan, she's no slouch. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So, John, before we go, let's get into our Linda Listen moment. I think you wanted to go more of like the inspirational route. So um, it could be a sassy statement to someone who's pissed you off or it can be some words of advice for our listeners here. Yeah. All right. Linda Listen, uh, this faith crisis you're going through, if you're going through it, is a gift. It's the greatest gift of your life. And even though it's incredibly painful, and you will sacrifice relationships, and uh, you will grieve it, and you will uh, suffer in many ways. Uh, the gift that comes out on the other side truly is uh, the best friendships, the best marriages, uh, the best parental relationships, uh, the best identity, and the, the most joy you could ever imagine if you'll just lean into this and uh, experience it and learn and grow and find the right mentor or the right support to help you get there. But the biggest gift of a Mormon faith crisis or of a faith crisis out of a high demand religion, the biggest gift is the rest of your life. Because you, we, I, all of us were captivated under undue influence by false pretenses. That's just a fact. We were. And so when you escape from a high demand religion, you uh, are given an incredible amount of time and energy and resources that you get to spend and money that you get to spend exactly as you want to give to the best charity that you can have the best relationships that you can cut, cut people out of your life that aren't doing you any good service. And then draw to yourself relationships that are going to edify and strengthen you. And I just, I just promise you that if you seek support and lean into this and most importantly, get connected to yourself and learn to tap into your own wisdom and to your own sense of right and wrong and truth, joy that you cannot imagine uh, awaits on the other side of what feels like a terrible crisis. <laughs> So, um, so don't give up and, uh, seek the joy. Beautiful. 
beautiful. Is that too long? That no, too it's great. The longer the better. All right. Do you have any final thoughts before we throw out all of your handles and ways that people can find you? Yeah, send her money. Sign up for her <laughs> Patreon. Go to Colts to Consciousness at Patreon.com. Patreon.com slash Colts to Consciousness. Yeah. I got to shout out Walker. He's my newest patron. Thank you, Walker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, just I think I've said enough. But uh, I, I will say I, I really mean it when I say you are very talented. And I think I hope you continue because you're, you're already going gangbusters for only doing this four or five months. But I hope you eclipse me. And I think there's a good chance that you will. So I hope you'll keep going. And I'm just so thrilled you're in the space. Wow, John, thank you. I mean, I look up to you so much and what you've been able to build in your channel. And there's been so many times where Jonathan and I are having conversation. I'm like, what does John do? I need to see how he does things. Because you really created something pretty amazing that everyone can attest to the ways that you've helped them out of their faith crisis and into finding who they really are. So the the respect is mutual and I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me. We've been going for a while and I'm just thrilled and honored that everyone can have this information for themselves. So before we go, how can people find you? What are things that you're up to? Plug any events or, or things you want people to come and see? All right. So the best, the best way you could support us is by going to YouTube and subscribing to the Mormon Stories Podcast YouTube channel. We're trying to reach 100,000 subscribers, which for us is a huge milestone. Yeah, it's huge. We've been doing this for a long time, and we're just going to reach it in the next couple months. So uh -huh. please go subscribe to us there. Please follow us or subscribe to us on TikTok. Our TikTok channel is over 200,000 Yeah, you guys are killing it. We're over 210 now, and TikTok is like, it's like fentanyl. It's like crack. I mean, it's <laughs> it's just like... It's social media on steroids. It's the wild, wild west of social yeah. media. Well, yeah, but it's also like there's where else can you create a one minute thing? Spend a couple minutes to create a one minute piece of content that's going to reach six million people. Yeah. Like it's it's amplified in just unbelievable ways. I've been doing podcasting for what, 18 years? And nowadays I walk around Utah and people are like, are you the TikToker? I'm like, oh, wow. I've been doing TikTok for like 15 minutes <laughs> and people are record and I've been doing podcasting for 18 years and people are recognizing me as a TikToker. Yeah. That's how powerful TikTok is. Mm -hmm. So anyway, subscribe to us on Mormon Stories Podcast TikTok channel. Please follow us and subscribe to us on Facebook, Mormon Stories Podcast channel, and on Instagram. We've, we're on all those platforms. We love it when people are able and willing to donate, uh, become a monthly donor. Send to this Mormon guy Stories some Podcast. money. There you go. <laughs> You can go to mormonstories.org and then click on the donate button, become a monthly donor. We're transparent in our finances. Uh, and um, we uh, we try to spend every dollar um, supporting uh, people who are in need. So after you support Colts to Consciousness financially, become a donor to Mormon Stories Podcast and subscribe and follow and then share our content. Spread the word because word of mouth is a great way to get this stuff out there. Yeah. Awesome. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much again, John. It's been a pleasure getting to interview you. And thank you so much to our listeners. And until next time, follow your highest excitement, be conscious, and be well. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, it would mean a lot if you could like and subscribe on YouTube and leave a review or a comment to help with our visibility. You can also find me on social media at Colts to Consciousness or reach out by email at Colts to Consciousness at gmail.com.